Welcome back to the Kingsway Podcast. Welcome. We're glad you're here. It is uh, another great episode of Sunday Seminar. Sunday Study Hall? Yeah, that one. Yeah. I think Sunday I called it seminary? Seminar. Seminar? Seminar? Is that is seminary? Sunday. Sunday with the sensei. Sunday. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, basically, it is a study hall where we go back through this last week's sermon and we kind of expose some of the things that maybe we talked about in a deeper way or we yeah. talk about things we missed or maybe we just hover over some details that maybe would be a little bit nerdy for some or maybe we lean into some things that uh, touched our hearts or were special to some of the things we learned and talked about. So, And this is for people who listen to the sermon, but this is also for people who just like the Bible yep. and care about it because... What we're preaching is, hopefully, we're preaching from the Bible. Yes. Hopefully, what we're preaching is in line with the Bible. But either way, we're we're firmly planting both feet on, uh, in this sermon series, the Gospel according to Matthew, and uh, yeah, yeah. So and it's it, for it, it was, uh, and then you know, the podcast itself was created because we just we love to learn, and so yeah. it's really just trying and to we be learn cu- to love. We learned to love. <laughs> <And> we're trying <laughs> to be curious and figure out how to to you know dive in. And for a lot of people, studying the Bible is a little tricky, or or maybe they're they've had some bad run-ins, or sometimes where they've run run into theology or difficult questions that have left them feeling like the Bible's not for them, or maybe somebody that's. Uh, never read the Bible and understood it in a way that was helpful. Um, Or maybe somebody that's uh, had some poor theology taught to them and the Bible's been weaponized. And so they're trying to figure this out and learn for themselves. And even some of the stuff we're going to talk about today, I think we, uh, talking to your wife just before I came in here and, you know, some of the stuff we're talking about today has like some like roots uh, of like some poor theology that I learned (laughs) that I've had to like unpack and figure out. So, uh, we are in Matthew chapter 12. We're going to go through verses 15 through 37 is what we yeah. did, which was a lot. I know it's only 22 verses, but it's a lot. So uh, much. And my outline normally is like one page, and we were almost on two, um, which is normally a sign that the message is going to go really, really long, but it didn't. Yeah. Thank it's goodness. like the opposite of a sign of Jonah. <laughs> yes. We're not three days in the belly of a beast. Yeah. Um, so... So what's what's our routine? What I, you know? Here's uh, the routine. We're we're sort of out of it. The first mm-hmm. one we did back was with John Coward. So mm-hmm. uh, this is your first one back after a break. So are we doing ninety seconds then? Or are you still doing the ninety second? Yes. Okay. Because so I was what, trying to think. We've already said. Uh, go ahead and say like the titles of the sections. Yeah, yeah, yeah. In so, your Bible, so we know what we're talking the, about. The sections we're doing is basically God's chosen uh, servant, and then Jesus uh, and Beelzebub. 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 Yep. Right? Beelzebub. Did I just get it wrong? Beelzebub. Mine says bub, but I think there are other ones that say ol. Uh, mine says of, bull. Yeah. Beelzebub. You know what's funny? What? Is mine's right now is an NIV 84 and yours is an NIV 2011. Yep. <laughs> so it's the same translation. But uh, basically uh, sections where Jesus is being talked to by the Pharisees, and it's a continued section of kind of a similar narrative from the beginning of chapter 12 where the the Pharisees have confronted Jesus. And uh, then we pick up in verse 15. With this. (laughs) Um, This section is deeply connected to the section before. Um, The first section we bump up against is Jesus actually uh, telling the Pharisees basically, um, you know, can understand that they're upset by telling the Pharisees that it's okay to heal on the, on the Sabbath. So he goes away and he starts healing a bunch of people. Um, and then Matthew inserts himself into the gospel and talks about what Jesus is really doing to, re- to reveal his kingship, which is in Isaiah 42. And he quotes Isaiah 42, 1 through 4, uh, describing what Jesus is there for, the broken reeds or the bruised reeds and the smoldering wicks, the people that have lost hope. And he's not just here for a nation, but the nation's. Um, and then as he leaves that place and he's healing someone that is demon possessed comes up, uh, that is mute and cannot see. They assume demon. Again, that's a whole part of like spiritual warfare that they misunderstood or we misunderstand and Jesus heals them. And then they accuse Jesus of using demonic power to heal. 
And Jesus gives them a little logic lesson on how that's dumb and that yeah. would not work. The devil doesn't defeat himself. And if he, and this is something that they need to recognize that if it's of God, then why are they trying to get in the way of it? And in the end, he then gives them this really big rebuke around the idea of their lives will be revealed by their fruit and out of their heart, their mouths are speaking. And he actually calls them a brood of vipers, which is a quote from John the Baptist earlier in Matthew. And it's just a beautiful text about Jesus elevating the broken people and telling the leaders to get on his team. Done. Done. Only like five seconds. Oh, my gosh. So that was was close. And I think so much more than what I just said was getting this simple. It was hard to get this simple. And so even just being able to do that, decent. I know I jumped over a ton of stuff. There's so many deals that we can jump back in, but... I uh, I had to wrestle this text to the ground to get like a, a simple place because there's so many cool things. I called it meaty, you know, like when I preached, yeah. I'm like, there's just, there's, it's like, this is not fluff. Like this is things yeah. where like you have to pay attention. Names matter where, when it's happening, who it's happening in front of little clarifications, like not the nation, but the nations yeah. make a massive difference. Held in a sneeze. You did it. You did great. Yeah, that was still there. That was (laughs) demonic possession. If I could get another demon to help me out. So it's old Matthew twelve. All right. So one of the coolest things that I didn't get to say about the first section that we're talking about is uh, this idea of um, it's, and this is really complicated. We talked about it a lot in our preaching minute, but in Isaiah forty two, the version that Jesus is quoting is the one of the oldest versions, and it's a more trimmed-down version of uh, Isaiah 42 in the sense that the language, it, think of it like rather than it being in King James, it's actually yeah. an NIV. Yeah. Like that'd be the best way to talk about it. So like the way that it was originally, or it's, the later versions would be, would be a little bit more complicated language and it would feel a little bit more drug out um, in the sense of like the later versions of the Septuagint the original Hebrew that was probably more of the actual spoken, like Isaiah, had a more common, easier-to-understand version of the text. And Jesus quotes the commoner version of Isaiah 42. And not to say that there's discrepancies in the sense of context or or message. Or content. Or content. Just to say in the the language that he's much, much, much like how we have different versions of the Bible still. Um, in the sense of translations. Um, He uses this really intentional, um, almost like lower understanding or like lower educational, like educated thing. And it's beautiful because for so many things, um, it it meets his audience. Yeah. And that's part of the reason why Matthew uses that translation um, is because he is trying to draw in people um, that, that the kingdom is for. And so he's using that version as kind of a a window into what Jesus is doing when he's healing these crowds of people, yeah. as well as a simplistic understanding of who the suffering or who the servant is. Yeah, because this is a sidebar from Matthew in the gospel account. This isn't Jesus saying, I've come to do this. This is Matthew quoting it. So while Jesus is leaving the religious elite mm-hmm. who are plotting to kill him and going to help and heal the broken, yep. Matthew is leaving the religiously elite language. Yep. And going for the simpler language. Yes. And it would be the less academic, the less high, high-minded, high like much more common, simple yeah. message, which is exactly who he's meeting. And the subject of this quotation anyway yep. is not for the totally unbruised reeds and the unburnt wicks. <laughs> or the ones that are in denial that they're bruised <laughs> and their flame has yeah. gone out. Because that's honestly what's going to be the, kind of the bigger takeaway by the very end is it's not that they're any less broken. It's just they can't see it. Um, so then, you know, this is one of the cool, the coolest things too. This is one of the first times that Jesus is referenced as the servant of God or as a servant of God, uh, pretty appropriate where we're going to sprinkle in a lot of Isaiah, you know, obviously the prophetic language and the prophetic narrative that the Jewish people would have been looking for to know that this is their King, um, is really important to Matthew and, and the context of his whole gospel. Um, but I think the more interesting, or I guess the more meaty, like complicated part is this accusation after this healing in the very next section. 
um, in like section 22 through like 25 or 24, I should say, um, Jesus heals this, uh, demon possessed man who's blind and mute. Um, and again, I said this earlier, like the, the conversation is not that I need to declare that demon possession is always just them misunderstanding that someone didn't sin to cause this person to have these ailments. Um, there could be absolutely a supernatural power going on inside this person, and that could be totally taking place. I think that's just helpful to remind yourself that that sometimes when there's a mystery, people seek to find the most interesting or concrete answer to what's going on because it helps them rather than sometimes having to sit with the mystery of brokenness of this world or the mystery yeah. of just what's going on. And so... Jesus, of course, heals them, this guy, which is amazing. And But this is the second healing that's happened in chapter 12, where the Pharisees are going to do the same thing. They're going to completely ignore this supernatural, incredible thing that has happened to a person. Yeah. And they are just going to look at the proper channels that this needed to go through, or if this is even a legitimate thing, because they didn't sign off on it before it's yeah. occurred. And now they are looking for any way they can to catch Jesus in some sort of lie or or misstep so that they can put forth their plans. And it's just a power struggle. It's really what it comes down to. So Jesus says one of three things. He says, first, um, Jesus knew their thoughts. He says, every kingdom divided against itself, it can't stand. So, like, what are you talking about? Like, we all know that the, the biggest kingdoms in the world normally don't be, they're not defeated by an exterior power most of the time they they're divided from within. Yeah. And so it, if the kingdom of the, de, the demonic kingdoms are divided, we're in good luck. That's that's yeah. great. It's going to fall, yeah. you know, but that's not how this is. Um, and then he accuses them of like, well, what do you do when you cast these out? Are you joining in with the devil? You know, like type of thing. Yeah. no, you would say you're on God's team. Well, why now that when I'm doing it, are you making yeah. any accusation other than this is probably an act of God? Um, and then by the end, he even says, he's like, like, why, uh, why are you trying to scatter what I am trying to gather? And it is just an incredible, like, ooh, like <laughs> you're, yeah. you're not paying attention. Like what I've been doing this whole time is gathering broken people to me, which is why you can see that Matthew puts that, uh, Matthew puts, uh, Isaiah 42 yeah. in there just a, a few verses before, because the Pharisees are blind to what the servant of God is doing. He's taking these people that are hopeless. The withered hand was the earlier story in Matthew 12. And now this guy that's blind and mute. I mean, just think about how lost a person would be if they could not communicate and could not see. Like how incredibly helpless this person is and how they would need so many people to help them, but they would long to not be blind and mute. And, you know, they blow right past that. And so Jesus kind of gets down and angry. Um, he gets very, very frustrated. Um, one of the things I said in the sermon that I really liked uh, is kind of a clarification in this section. And it said this, a movement of God draws broken people and a movement against God will always ignore and isolate them. And yeah. what, what I mean is that <clears throat> if you're with God or with Jesus, and broken people are a part of what you are going after, that is a movement that God would be like, awesome, really glad to hear that you were, you know, that doesn't mean the movement's perfect. It doesn't mean it's always, you know, it's a direction, yeah. not yeah. necessarily perfection. And uh, these guys are just trying the best they can to ignore that direction as as helpful or good yeah. or whatever. And I said, for the main reasons I think that they're getting mad and they don't see it is because the movement of God did not look like what they wanted and it was unexpected. And so anytime things don't look like you want it and it's unexpected, I think it puts you on your heels. Yeah. Um, and then it also said the, the this happened without their permission and the proper religious channels, which I always think like yeah. that always hits really close to home with like how churches still operate sometimes. So we do struggle. Yeah. This is such an interesting conversation because back in their day, this was a national religion. <laughs> you can't, uh, even today, being Jewish is a religion, and it is a nationality, a nationality, uh, ethnic yeah, group, a genealogy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know what I mean. Mm-hmm. Anyway, it's a a kind of person you can be, or where you came from, and a religion. Yep, that is like one of the last remaining vestiges of that sort of thing. Yep, 
which kind of around the time of Jesus was starting to, and, and a few hundred years after was starting to crumble. You still see a lot of that in um, India with Hinduism and, and yeah. uh, but there are big struggles in India with Indian Christians and Indian Muslims, which is the whole reason I'm pretty sure Pakistan or mm-hmm. another one of those is a country because they were partitioned off because of the religious differences. Islam came in to try to take over what was their national religion. Yep. And so did Christianity with Peter in the Well, and you see it in China. Whoever it was. You see it in China too with yeah. atheism. Like they don't allow religion of any kind. Yeah. Truly. Or yeah. Freely. And so back in their day, that's the way all these places were that the Greeks had their pantheon of gods. The Romans had their pantheon of gods, the Assyrians, the whatever, um, which we'll get to Beelzebub or Beelzebul or mm-hmm. whatever, um, whatever alteration. But they all had their own yeah, de- like religion that was the religion of their people. What's so interesting about the time of Jesus is that the Greeks and then the Romans in suit, and maybe some, some empires before them, but I think at least those two yeah. were some of the first to start making uh, religious assimilation. I'm thinking about the Daleks from Doctor mm-hmm. Who assimilate, yep. and they're just trying to make everybody like them. The Greeks and the Romans made religious assimilation uh, not an oppressive thing. So we go back to Daniel. Daniel is in a foreign land. He's in exile. They want him to be a part of their religion yeah, and get rid of his. Yep. That was the Babylonian strategy, at least as seen in the book of Daniel. And all of his movements are resisting that. When the Greeks and the Romans come around with their empire and their conquest, they say, hey, I see you have some gods. Let's tell you about the rest of them that you don't know about. So instead of forcing them to become like us, you you group them into us. So now we have one giant conglomerate religion mm-hmm. where all of our gods are a part of this thing. It's a crock pot. That is when this is starting to end. Yep. And so they are trying to hold on to their religion, which is part of their nationality and their identity and their whole worldview. They're trying to hold on to their religion and holding on is a control move. Yep. And Yahweh isn't a big fan of people acting like they can control him. Oh yeah. Well, and when they when we started putting human restraints or human yeah. boundaries or human um what do we would call it, prerequisites yeah. around what what are only gods really to have the right yeah. to do. It really it really does frustrate and I think ultimately is one of the biggest hindrances at times to what God was trying to do. Yeah. Um it's you see it today, this is the last thing I want to say about it. It's this magical thinking. You see it today around um, in the Catholic Church, and maybe people, some people will not like them saying this, but like you can you can visit all these uh, things and places and materials that God used to interact with, and they're spoken about as if He still does or is required to. Mm-hmm. So the bones of Saint Peter are in some glass case in the basement of some church somewhere. I'm sure somebody smarter than me or who's using Google can figure it out. Um, but there are all these, like, mm-hmm. like uh, for, for the Israelites, the ancient mm-hmm. Israelites, the stuff in the Ark of the Covenant. God seemed to like those certain things. Yeah. But you don't see the dug-up bush that was burning. Mm-hmm. You don't see all these other items. Yeah. And honestly, even with those items in the Ark of the Covenant, which is where God's presence is supposed to be, the items being the Ten Commandments, Aaron's budding staff mm-hmm. or Moses' budding staff or, mm-hmm. uh, and another couple items or whatever. A couple jars of things, I forget, manna and then yeah. something else. Even with all that in there, Israel is is acting like God is required to be in that box. No matter how we act in this covenant agreement relationship between us. Mm-hmm. And so these laws that they're really pressing down on and trying to corner Jesus with our laws saying, hey, you didn't come through our channels mm-hmm. in which we expect God to act through, mm-hmm. expect both in, I hope he does, and we have an expectation on God that he, this is how he should act. Oh, yeah. It's, it's totally predictable mm-hmm. and normal for them, and 
understandable. But at the same time, what they've tricked themselves into doing after so long is God has to only work through this thing. Mm -hmm. And God's standing in front of them saying, no, I don't. And that's, that's what I think, Matthew. I'm just wondering if some of the Pharisees are looking at the disciples' faces as this is going down. Because they want to just be like, what are you talking about? You know what I mean? Like, like how can you say, you know, and even in verse yeah. 31, uh, you know, I said, so I tell you, every kind of evil and slander can be forgiven, but blasphemy against the spirit will not be forgiven. Anyone who speaks a word against the son of man will be forgiven. Anyone who speaks against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven, either in this age or the age to come. You want to talk about trying to figure out something super complicated. Now, let's yeah. just go down the road because... Obviously, what Jesus is saying is he's saying there is something that you are doing right now that you are on the verge of of crossing a line that you can't come back from. And that is terrifying. Um, Let me just break down a little bit of why this is such a complicated issue. One, um, it's not really clearly defined what that exactly means in the Bible. Um, It's not. There's just mystery to it. Two... Uh, we all have history with someone's interpretation. If you've been around the church, you've probably heard this. Um, the one that was interpreted to me, maybe it was poor interpretation on my part, or maybe it was just overemphasized. Um, I remember being in church and hearing someone say, if you take communion without confessing every sin before you take it, that is blasphemy against the Spirit, and you will surely die. And I remember thinking, Everything? Like, I have to say everything in my head. Like, what if I forget yeah. something? You know, yeah. like, what if it's an honest what mistake? If like, what if it's an accident? <laughs> like, you know, and like, and uh, I... You know what's funny? What? That's magical thinking. Uh-huh. If I, like, like people who would, who would say that, and then you respond with, but what if I made a mistake? What if I forgot something? If they would come back with, well, no, you will die. God's already said it. Mm-hmm. That's magical thinking. Like, mm-hmm. like God's hands are tied by <laughs> yes. you thinking, thinking. Yep. that that's blasphemy against the Holy Spirit. Yep. Now, they do have better grounds in 1 Corinthians, and I think we've talked about it before. Yeah. There's a whole passage that talks about. Now, the exact wording is not considering the body. Yep. That's why some of you are sick and some of you mm. have fallen asleep, mm. which is clear within the next couple chapters means dead. Mm-hmm. Uh is because you are not considering the body when you take the Lord's Supper. It doesn't mean that. It doesn't nope. mean confess all your sins nope. or else Jesus will kill you. Nope. It and, means uh, exactly what Jesus means right here. And I, it, that's what's so funny about this is, but there's been so many. So like one of the yeah. ones that I also heard was like, if you grew up in a more Pentecostal or expressive, like yeah. if you quelch the spirit or if you made yeah. fun of somebody that was speaking in tongues or was doing something that the Holy Spirit had called them to do, and you um, made fun of it, or made light of it, or whatever, then that's yeah. blasphemy against the Holy Spirit too. And yeah. like, and and I, I say all that jokingly, but also like a little bit like frustrated that like th- there is mystery in this. But then anytime someone tries to tie it down to something, I'm like Jesus doesn't tie it down to something. Like he ties it down. He ties it down to a concept, but not like a list. Yeah. It's not like here's the five ways to go straight to hell. Like you know, it's like, yeah. Here's the five ways to get unforgiven. Like like a TikTok. Like you know, it's like yeah. No. So the wrestlingness to the ground, figuring this out to be a healthy thing. I, I want to read what I wrote in here, but then I want to talk through yeah, yeah. some of the things that to. you say that because uh, I know there's more that we need to talk about. So here's what I boiled it down to: trying to trying to get to a, a place where I felt like I could at least say this and we'd understand at a heart level. It's like describing love. It's not a list. It's a relationship. I feel like this is the same thing. When you speak against the healing supernatural power of the Holy Spirit, be careful. Be very careful. It seems to be a warning against denying the works of God. Leave room for the mystery in your faith. God can do what he wants, when he wants, through the Holy Spirit. Yeah. The way I heard that when I first learned that concept was, the Holy Spirit can do what he wants, when he wants, where he wants, how he wants, with or without your permission. Yep. Yeah. And that is literally the thing that they're trying to enforce is, hey, we didn't give permission for God to do this thing. Yep. So it must, be of the, it must be of the devil. Yeah. Like, is there the opposite of the devil? Like, they're the yeah. God? Like, I don't understand. Yeah. Like, Jesus is like, no, nah, I'm the only one in here who actually gets yeah. to declare that. <clears throat> now, 
I went a little bit further with our preaching group, and I, I realized that Jesus is going to define what that is in the next section, like what this exactly is. And he's going to use... Or at least way clearer than all yes, our random yes. grabs for what this is. And, and I think it really does a good job. Uh, he does a great job. He's an incredible teacher, um, probably the best. Uh, yeah, but he does this awesome job of like just clearly saying it's not as complicated as you've made it. Yeah, it's not. It's not as complicated. It's much simpler. In fact, it's so simple. It's as easy as just looking at fruit on a tree. Yeah. And so he says this, make a tree, make a good tree in verse 33. It's a good, uh, a good tree. It's fruit is good. Bad tree. It's fruit is bad. You can recognize it by its fruit. Done. I, done. That's 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 blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. <laughs> Why is this so hard? Oh my gosh! I know, right? <laughs> it's. Can I can I tell you the ways I've thought about why this is so hard? Yes. So, I there are a bunch of different. Uh, this sounds scary the way I'm about to phrase it, but I don't mean it that way. Mm-hmm. There are a bunch of different religious Christian institutions that want to teach you about the faith in different ways. So we both went to Ozark Christian College, mm-hmm. which this is going to seem very noble, but it could go either way, honestly. Uh, they want to teach you about the Bible first and then about what to think about the Bible. Mm-hmm. So teach you about the Bible is exegesis. It's a mm-hmm. Greekish mm-hmm. word, Greek cool. origin word. Mm-hmm. And what, what it just means is you are going to the Bible and taking what the Bible has out of it for yourself. Mm-hmm. You are like drawing from the Bible. Um, but... Uh, I had a friend who went to Missouri Baptist University or something, mm-hmm. so a lot stronger of a denomination affiliation. Mm-hmm. They Their faith classes go Doctrine 1, Doctrine 2, Doctrine 3, Doctrine 4. Those are the prerequisites to your Bible classes. Mm. You have to know you have to what have those we lenses. all think. Uh-huh. It can be really easy to vilify, oh, they're just trying to teach you the Baptist way to think about it before you can think about it for yourself. Mm-hmm. No matter what, theology isn't, uh, I don't want to say it that way. Uh, theology is what you assume you are taking out of the Bible and how to make sense of all these data points. Yep. And exegesis Bible study is just what the Bible actually has. Every other application mm-hmm. to this Holy Spirit blasphemy passage is theology. It is saying blasphemy against the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, what do I know about the Holy Spirit? Hyperlink to everything else I think about the Holy Spirit. So what Jesus must have meant by blasphemy against the Holy Spirit is this thing from Paul in 1 Corinthians. (laughs) Or what Jesus must have meant by blasphemy against the Holy Spirit is this thing from Paul later in 1 (laughs) Corinthians about (laughs) speaking in tongues and not about communion or whatever. And as good as that can be, because that lets us do something with our faith. Mm. If we never use theology, we literally can never use our faith. Yeah. It's everyone who, <laughs> who I know who got saved in the past, like, like between 10 and 20 years ago, usually went through an altar call, did the whatever prayer to confess whatever thing. That's why they're in the faith mm-hmm. and they may get into the faith and then five years later, disagree with how they got into the faith. But Jesus still has a hold of them. Yep. That was our theology saying, this is how you should apply. The Roman road, mm-hmm. that is going around what Paul's saying and cherry-picking the things that you think are important, mm-hmm. the way that you read it in a translation in English from the Greek, mm-hmm. and saying, this is what he must have meant, or this is how to simplify it. That's theology. Yep. So every time we come to this, blasphemy against Holy Spirit, what do I already think that could mean rather than let's keep reading and see what Jesus says about it. Mm -hmm. That's not bad. That's a good thing to do. Just be ready to be corrected by Jesus rather than I already know what's true about the Holy spirit from my pastor, from this mm -hmm. other book of the Bible written by a different person and and God. Just like let Jesus speak (laughs) his whole thing. So I proposed before we even got to this section, how could we avoid these mistakes? And I said there was two questions you had to ask yourself if you wanted to avoid making the mistakes of the Pharisees. And as the first one was, are you excited about the person that's healed? (laughs) Like, are you looking and seeing the person that was marginalized in this story? 
does your heart actually go, oh, I'm so glad that guy got healed. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> and then the second, and maybe should go first sometimes, uh, is are you willing to listen and learn? Yeah. Are you willing to listen and learn? Because the truth of the matter is, I think the thing that stalls the most out of what the Pharisees are struggling with, what what causes the big, is that they don't think they have anything to learn from Jesus. Yeah. They don't have anything to learn. And so as that, this whole situation's going down, I think he's desperate to help them, but they refuse. And it is so, so poignant. That's one of my favorite things about being in a church like ours. What I mean by like ours is that we're just generally pretty open-minded. We'll listen to anybody and then disagree if we feel like we have to disagree. Yep. Secondly, a church like ours where we are non-denominational, that doesn't mean free from sin. No. <laughs> that means that means that like if we think that somebody in the Anglican tradition, very much like Catholicism, very high church, mm-hmm. whatever, if we think that they have a right idea about prayer, we're not like, but they're not our people. Yeah. We're not like, but we didn't approve of that. That didn't go through our channels. We we just do it so we can be closer to the Lord. If we think mm-hmm. that somebody in a charismatic denomination has a better idea about who the Holy Spirit is and what he does, we'll take it. Or if we don't, we won't. Yep. And it's 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 not that we are the best people to decide all these things, but like you said, we're open to listen and learn and and not shut down an idea or a person because they're not they haven't gone through our channels. Oh, yeah. And you can't be somebody else's Holy Spirit. I've learned that for yeah. a long time. And people have different convictions from their background and their theology and what they've what God has spoken. And I think part of why Jesus gets so mad is because this person is minimized. And yeah. that just – and what I, I, I don't know if I said this on stage, but the thing that just helped me the most when I was thinking through what Jesus is thinking – is like when Moses goes before Pharaoh and he is performing these incredible signs to show that God is stronger and defeating all their gods. His heart is hardened. Yeah, That's what the Bible describes. And in my mind, it's the unforgivable thing. Like it's this feeling of like in his heart, he is choosing to go, I I am turning my eyes away from what God is doing. I, in fact, I deny that this is God. And in so many ways, it's still free will. It's yeah. just you're taking your free will, and you are going over, and you are picking the apple right yeah. in God's face. <laughs> like it's, you're just doing it. <laughs> I, I totally agree with you, to use my theology. I feel like it's a little more, it's it's less like you've tripped and downloaded the Target app, you're going to hell. Yeah. It's more like, <laughs> it's, it's more like you are not on my side. Mm-hmm. So it's like Acts 9, uh, again, not... A Matthew author, mm-hmm. but Acts nine with Paul, mm-hmm. where Paul is thinking he's doing what God wants, and God blinds him and stops him and says, "Paul, Paul, why are you persecuting me?" And he has this fork in the road moment: Are you going to keep doing your thing and keep following what you feel is right and what has become easy to you by your training, or are you going to listen and learn mm-hmm. and want people be glad when I heal someone? Yep, and and go out and evangelize the world. It's what's in the book of Revelation. Yep. All seven of those letters, chapters two and three, to seven different churches, pretty much end with, this is a call to stick to your guns about faithfulness to me. Or your light stand will be removed. Yes, (laughs) yes. But if you overcome, if you stay faithful to me, then this or that or whatever. And so just like being open to listen and learn, being open to be corrected by the Holy Spirit himself or Jesus himself or whoever's whatever. It's 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 just like there's a fork in the this is every prophecy. Yes. Most prophecies. Most prophecies aren't in seven days your your left leg of your pants will be a little damp. It's it's usually <laughs> there's a fork in the road. You guys are are straying from me. Yep. Your hearts are leaving allegiance yep. to me and you're just seeing what you can get out of me. If you keep going down that road, it's bad. It's not gonna be good. It's not is good. that a is that a prophecy? Yeah. Is that a prediction? Kinda. Yep. It's more a promise. Well, and like <laughs> I just love that once Jesus says this fruit thing, then he goes brood of vipers. Yeah. Verse 34, right? You speak evil. How can evil say anything good? Which is like <laughs> oof. Ow. 
Uh, from the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. A good man brings out what he's what he's got stored up. A bad an evil man brings out what the evil he's stored up. But I tell you, anyone has given amount of the, uh, the amount on judgment for every empty word they have spoken. For my by my words you will be acquitted. By your words you will be condemned. Which I think is crazy. It's not about your words. It's about God's words. Yeah. <laughs> it's like if you get Jesus's words, you're good. <laughs> you do your own words, you're you're in trouble. But I didn't put this together until after we met. But in Matthew three. When the Pharisees approach John the Baptist, when he's doing this, he he says almost verbatim exactly the two illustrations that Jesus just said. He yeah. says, um, so many came to where he was baptized, and he said to them, you brood of vipers, I warn you to flee the coming wrath, produce fruit in keeping with repentance. Yeah. Are you not open to learn? Are you not open to make yeah. mistakes? And repentance is... Changing. Change. <laughs> is Come seeing back. that you're wrong and changing. Well, seeing that you're wrong is implied. but And the, the fruit that he's talking about there is just turning back to God. Yeah. It's like just yeah. come back to God. That's the fruit he wants. And so yeah. then that led me to what does the fruit of repentance look like? And I think the root of repentance is really doing the things of God, Yeah, what the Spirit would lead. So that I went to Galatians, and I just read the list that Paul, of course, makes who's had this major yeah. transformation, who's yeah. gone through and has identified now the things that are more important than the law and has identified this list as the, the list that he needs to be focused yeah. on and what could, should be coming out of him more and more. And, you know, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, forbearance, um, gentleness, and self-control. And, and then he has this great little line in there that I always yeah. love, but I, I know why he put it in yeah, there yeah, yeah. because he's, he's a Pharisee. Yeah. And so he knows... Uh, maybe he's read the Gospels, maybe he's heard from the guys, but he knows that there are pharisaical laws that would keep you from doing some of these things. Like there are times like yeah. the Sabbath that they'd be like, no, like you yeah. can't do that thing yeah. because it's against, and he'd be like, no, there is no, against such things there is no law. Which yeah. That in my mind is like, like, you know, it's a dagger. Yeah. And I think it puts to death and this was my ultimate thought, and I think I said it, but, you know, it's not that Jesus is saying this, so this is me taking bits and pieces from other places yeah. to create a theology. And again, it's okay to theologize. It is. That's the only way our faith has two legs and walks anywhere. If you want to keep this... But be as, corrected yes. every time that Jesus corrects you. And if you want to keep it as simple as possible, just take his words, what you say and what you produce in your life shows your allegiance. That's, yeah. that's as simple as it gets. And when you go against God and you go against that, he can't forgive. Like, yeah. It's when you don't choose him. <laughs> yeah. Then you're in trouble. Yeah. You know, so then the more complicated version that I say is then when you see other people living out the fruits of the spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, or you doubt its ability to bring the kingdom. Yeah. That kindness is ever not the right or good thing. Like, yeah. and when kindness is shown, it's, oh, that's weakness. Yeah. When peace is offered, oh, gosh, you're just letting them off the hook, you know. And really what you do is you doubt the power of God. You doubt the power of the Holy Spirit in your own life. Yeah. And I think that's ultimately what, what Jesus is trying to say is, like, don't doubt this. You're, you want to take over Rome, and you can't see how important it is for me to heal this guy right now. Yeah. You can't. You doubt that my power is not more powerful than that while I do this? Yeah. And <laughs> and again, the thing I think was, uh, at least in this conversation, I heard it on Sunday, but mm -hmm. something about this conversation just made it stick out more. Uh, without our approval mm -hmm. or without our permission. So, so the same thing you just said, kindness is weakness. Mm -hmm. I don't want you to be kind to that person. It's just another way to say that is, I didn't approve of that mm -hmm. kindness going out from you to that person who I don't think deserves it. Yep. Or I didn't give permission for you to go around the status quo yep. to make peace with this person. They deserve the unpeace that's between us or whatever. I think what really pulled this together, Ryan, was this one thought that I had. And I remember if I was driving, I was at the gym. I rode 24 miles on a bike the other day. Ouch. It hurt. It was a lot, but I wrote most of my sermon <laughs> um, in my head because nice. that's the way I'd, my brain can't get it to hear, nice. but it can keep it right here. Um, but one of the thoughts I had was it just came to me all of a sudden. 
this guy that was healed was sitting there listening to this whole conversation. Yeah. <laughs> and people I was say like, you shouldn't have done that. I was like, oh my gosh, like how yeah. painful would that be to just yeah. have people angry about your hope? Yeah. Angry about your transformation and doubting that this was a good thing. And, and the pain that, that I know Jesus would have felt when he saw their looks and he loves this person and they're loving this person so poorly. And it's like, and they're speaking this stuff out. He's like, you brood of vipers. What are you yeah. doing? What are you, this is my child. This is why I came. And that's why I think Matthew throws yeah. that, you know, bruised reed, smoldering yeah. wick thing in there because he's like, what's about to take place, Jesus is fulfilling every bit of his calling. Yeah. And when he's going to be accused and how he responds, though it's going to seem harsh or, or a little bit rash at times, or it's going to feel logical, but then at times a little bit of a mystery, just know he is completely inside his calling and doing exactly what God put yeah. him on the earth to do. And he sees that now, you know, yeah. where in the moment I'm sure it was a little awkward where you're like, hey, Jesus, you, guys, you know who these guys are? Okay. <laughs> just checking like this is the travis kelsey of religious what's elite. happening right now like, <laughs> obama just walked in and we're getting in big trouble you yeah. know or whatever and it's you know they're the top officials top popular people top yeah. things that like and then you know they have the human delegated authority to say that now can they control god to do that no <laughs> no so you but, know, yeah i would say one one uh Bible interpretation thing that I think we've we've shown today is if there is something jarring, confusing, hard to understand in Scripture, especially something like this, the blasphemy against Holy Spirit, seems really daunting and terrifying. Mm-hmm. Um, yes, God was behind writing this and Paul's letters and whatever, mm-hmm. but there's so many barriers to you understanding what's meant when you just take one verse out of an English translation and say, this is true in all circumstances, and now I'm going to apply that to other scriptures written by other people. Yes, God may have breathed and inspired all of these books. Yeah. But the clearest way to interpret the meaning of that confusing thing is in that same book, by that same author, by that same character, so maybe if Paul says something in Ephesians and it's confusing, but it sounds like something in Colossians, that kind of makes sense because mm-hmm. it's the same character and the same author, mm-hmm. but a different book. Mm-hmm. But if Jesus says something in Matthew, yeah, he even if the same English word is used by Paul mm-hmm. later in a different context, look at what Jesus says first. Yep. If Paul says something, look at the rest of what Paul says mm-hmm. and not at what Jesus says. That's where a lot of, I don't mean to bring this up, 40 something minutes and Mm -hmm. blow up this podcast at the end. Mm -hmm. But like a lot of the harsh statements about women in leadership, Mm -hmm. read that and then keep reading Paul and see. So like in first Corinthians, I'll never leave that book. Um, (laughs) In first Corinthians, it's like women should be silent. And if they have a question, ask their husband at home, Mm -hmm. but just like read the last chapter and watch that they were prophesying out loud. And he was like, so when you do that (laughs) two women, Mm -hmm. so like he must not mean, in all circumstances what he said. and everything. Mm-hmm. And he must mean something very particular mm-hmm. by that that didn't apply to this other thing that he was super okay with. Mm-hmm. But don't just go to some other book by Paul mm-hmm. and be like, here's something else he said about women too. Mm-hmm. So I keep reading that same book and see if he's abiding by his own commandment. Yeah. And therefore, if that's what he meant or if you're missing something. Mm-hmm. Anyway, okay. That's and, all I'm going to say. Paul also, that's an example. Paul also does these things where he's like, hey, this isn't like from God. This is just me. This is my opinion. Yeah, and, that's you know, really confusing. And in you're the middle like, of First Corinthians, uh, yep, seven ish. So, so and it's like eight-ish. I know, I know that like there's, and I think as you're studying or you're starting to read, which I know Justin, one of my friends, he's been reading through Matthew. I've been really proud of him, um, and he's been like sending me just a little text, and he was like, "Dude, chapter 13 is going to be awesome." And I'm like, <laughs> yeah. well, "Why?" He's like, "Because all these parables, they're so cool." And I was like, "He's like, I." I think I know what they mean, but I'm excited <laughs> to know what they really mean. And I was like, well, do your own research. Like, you know, get on and like study and like you can anticipate or be excited. And he's like, I, I, I might, you know, and then he's like, chapter 14 is a banger too. And I'm like, yeah, I, I know. they're all Wait good. Wait till you get man. to 24. Like, you, know, you know, like they're they, all good. 
Um, and, and, you know, even after, uh, the, the application of what this text, like, how do we yeah. leave it? And, you know, there was a thousand ways we could go. And, and what I was trying to do was listen to the Holy Spirit yeah. and, and, and do what I felt yeah. like needed to be done. And what I felt like Jesus was doing through this whole section and what the Holy Spirit led me to believe and to land on was he was trying to elevate the broken, overlooked, mistreated people. And he was trying to help the mistreaters see their errors yeah. and call them back. And stop being on the opposite side of God. Quit, quit pushing away all the things that I am trying to gather. Yeah. Quit pushing away the people that I am calling to me. And that includes you. Yeah. <laughs> you know. And so that's, we ended with a, a pretty intense challenge. It's like a, I tried to do like a gentle you know, walk into it, like either yeah. you're in youth group and this is like super traumatic because you did this every <laughs> week or like you haven't yeah. been church in a long time and you're like, great, this is the first time back and now I'm going to have to put my head down and, and you know, but yeah. I, I, you know, without revealing any names or people specifically, I can say that both of those questions when I gave the opportunity for response had 10 to 20 people that were responding out in the crowd and that gives me incredible hope and, you know, the first yeah. question was, do you need that love to rush in? So I just drew them a picture of them being the person that was mute and blind, being pushed to the front, and then there with Jesus. And Jesus not mentioning, oh, why should I, or judging you in <laughs> any way. He just <laughs> show me your papers. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> or looking around to see if anyone will approve, but honing in yeah. specifically on them and healing them and offering love. Yeah. And a bunch of people shot out. I mean, that was a great one. And then the second one, which I think is the most difficult one, is to drop, and I didn't use this, but to, to drop your pharisaical opinions of people and see every person as worthy of the love of Christ and yeah. somebody that you should be fighting hard to learn how to love. Yeah. One of the most powerful things I learned this last year was that when you bump up against somebody that is struggling with something and it is hard to love them because they haven't healed or changed or transformed and they're stuck. I used to think, well, that's their problem. Figure it out. I hope they figure that out. And yeah. I had a counselor. My counselor actually pushed into that until it was, so you don't think you need to learn how to love people that are hard, like, and that maybe they're not in your life so that you learn how to love better. And I was like, Oh, I don't like that. <laughs> I don't like that. <laughs> that feels very difficult. at all. <laughs> like what yeah. I, that, that's their problem. <laughs> Why are you pushing this back? On me, but he was just trying to say, like, I think most of these things are duplicity. Like, there, there's two things going on at once. Yeah. Well, someone's being elevated, and then someone's being called to learn and grow. Yeah. At the same time, and so that second question was, who do you need to love that you're pushing away, that you're scattering, that Jesus is trying to draw in? Who are you? Who have you drawn a line in the sand and said, my love goes no further? And you need to break down that wall yeah. and, and let love rush in in a way that you can. And it wasn't letting people off the hook. That's not discounting if there's been yeah. brokenness or whatever. That's not that's not that. It's just where's your heart with this person? And we had a lot of people that raised their hand for that too. Um, and that was it was powerful. So landing there, it, it I'm glad we were able to do the podcast because I think yeah. there was so much more than than that because even the continuation of this chapter is like another like attack, yeah. you know, and they're basically like trying to catch him in a, in a theological trap, but also a, like yeah. a positional political trap of like, where are you, oh, where yeah. are you at in this whole yeah. like Rome, Jerusalem, you know, our Jew, Jew, Jewish thing. And like, he's just kind of like, I'm doing kind of my own thing. It's yeah. Like <laughs> One final note that's yeah. going to go back so far to like yeah. 15 minutes into this podcast. Um, we mentioned Beelzebub. Yeah. Okay. There's a really good note on in uh, this study Bible on that, um, and it is right here. Uh, uh, the Pharisees, uh, sorry, Beelzebul, a ruler of demons, often identified with Satan. Originally, the name for the Canaanite deity Beelzebul, or Baal the Prince. Hmm. So, it. Their their idea of who Satan is, if that's a single entity or whatever, their identity of who Baal is, this this uh, antagonistic uh, supernatural being to Yahweh, mm -hmm. uh, who you see in Elijah, First Kings eighteen, and a lot of times they 17. wrap it into anything that opposes God directly. Yes. Like yeah, that's yeah, yeah. normally how, and, and it can be that single yeah. entity, but it also can just be a kind of like a yeah. Jesus team, Satan team. It's. <laughs> 
all in all, they had this idea of a lot of supernatural, uh, non-physical, there we go, non-physical mm-hmm. spiritual beings mm-hmm. where Yahweh is unchallenged. God is unchallenged. But there are these other nations that claim that they have a God mm-hmm. who in Judeo-Christian ideas or lowercase g and whatever. Mm-hmm. They believed in a lot of supernatural spiritual beings, uh-huh. but that Yahweh was unchallenged. And so when they are saying, you do this by Beelzebul, mm-hmm. they're both saying that you're antagonistic to God like Satan yep. and that you're antagonistic to God like the gods of these other nations. Yep. You're not with God. You're, yeah. not, you're not on God's And he's team. like, well, how do you do it? Yeah. By also not God. <laughs> yes. I yeah. mean, well, and that's the funny thing is like they have their rituals, their incantations, their yeah. certain things that they're doing. And I remember Andy Garris teaching a lot about this in uh, talking about how the Israelites would have these like foreign gods outside of their house, like maybe back yeah. in the alley. Yeah. And they and when God wasn't giving them the answer they wanted and when things weren't going the way that they felt like God was, they would go and find the, the, and ask those gods and they yeah. would kind of keep them in their back yeah. pocket. It's kind of like a, well, maybe someday down the road and people were still doing this. And so they're trying to draw into that yeah. concept too, where they're like, Oh, he's probably just got access to God in a way that's not through our channels. So it can't be of God. So it must be idolatry. It must be idolatry. And he's like, oh, guys, <laughs> like, yeah. what, you know, yeah. and it, it, it is like, it's a very Jewish heavy gospel matthew and so a lot of these things that matthew leans into these are huge bits of red text which is quoting jesus um and they are very jewish in the sense of what they are attempting to teach you about christ like what they're attempting to teach you about who jesus is john does not talk as much or in as much depth his gospel because his goal is just to tell you he's the savior (laughs) you know he's the one that's coming to rescue you he is god incarnate but he's also god the savior so there this is more jesus the king of judaism you know yeah and jesus is king of the world and so it's like he's going to take the one nation and make it all nations a blessing to all nations so it's it's pretty cool it's this is a fantastic section look read ahead the next section that we're doing is the sign of jonah and it is so much fun. Ryan and I had to shut ourselves down from trying yeah. to talk about it beforehand just before we started this Absolutely. because there's some really fun stuff that we're going to get to talk about and definitely more yes. fun stuff that we'll get to talk about on the podcast uh, next week. Yeah, so so stay tuned. Well, I, as always, thank you, Mom, for listening and Zach. And uh, we appreciate uh, anybody that passes this on or recommends it or leaves yeah. us a review uh, either on the podcast apps or on YouTube. Uh, as as every time we say, leave a comment. Let us know what you want. What else? We you need clarification. You feel like maybe there's some things that we could learn and listen yeah. to uh, that would if help. If we're wrong about any of this, <laughs> let us know. We are this Trevor at <laughs> We are just the loudest <laughs> learners right now. That's all yeah. we are, and we're just trying to to figure some of this stuff out and walk by the spirit. So yeah. So please uh, share this around. Help mm-hmm. fund my Claritin addiction. <laughs> Yeah, if you haven't told, he's he's had to sneeze about 40 times silently. I'm pretty sure his brain scrambled. Oh, it is. (laughs) Well, as always, have a great and glorious day in the Lord. See you later. See ya.